Amen. All right, we're there in Numbers chapter number uh, 19, and we are making our way through the book of Numbers on Sunday nights. We are preaching uh, through this book, and we are on a journey with uh, the children of Israel as they wander in the wilderness, and we are studying their wanderings through the book of Numbers, of course. And tonight we are here in Numbers chapter 19. We were actually in chapter 19 last uh, Sunday night, and if you remember, we learned all about the sacrifice of uh, the red heifer. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach my sermon from last week, so if you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to find it on our website and listen to it so you can maybe catch up uh, to a little bit of the context. But if you remember, we talked about the sacrifice of the red heifer. We talked about the fascination that people have with the sacrifice and the fallacies that are taught today about it. And primarily, it's this teaching uh, by the Judaizers, which is this idea that they have to find this perfect red heifer in order to reestablish the Levitical priesthood. Um, and we learn the facts from the scriptures that that is just not the case. I ended last week uh, with a passage in Hebrews, which we're going to look at Hebrews a lot tonight, uh, and, and showed you the fulfillment of the sacrifice of the red heifer, which is really... Uh, a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at the fascination, the fallacies, the facts, and the fulfillment. What we didn't look at last Sunday night was the foreshadows of the red heifer because there was so much to cover that I just knew it couldn't all be done in one sermon. So tonight we're going to focus specifically on the foreshadows of the red heifer. When we talk about the foreshadows, what we're referring to the fact is that these sacrifices and a lot of things in the Old Testament, specifically the sacrifices, are, a, are symbolic. They are a, an image, like a shadow uh, is cast of an individual. It's not the thing, but it is a shadow. It is a form of the thing. A lot of these sacrifices are a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at that uh, tonight as we study this passage. But before we get to the main foreshadow of the red heifer, which of course is the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd like to quickly show you a possible foreshadow of the foreshadow, if that makes sense. Now, you're there in Numbers 19. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law. Remember, we learned that when you see the word ordinance, you should be thinking shadow, symbolic, foreshadow. Ordinances are usually not something that are uh, moral or immoral. They're more of a ritual, religious ritual that is done and we can often find the Lord Jesus Christ in those rituals, which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer. And of course, a heifer is a young female cow without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. And of course, we have the sacrifice of the red heifer. And like I said, we, we spent a lot of time talking about it last week, so I'm not going to go into all the details. We're going to look at a lot of the passage tonight as well. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus. If you go backwards, keep your place there, Numbers 19. That's our text for tonight. But if you go backwards, past Leviticus, into the book of Exodus, Exodus 32, I'd like to show you something that, in my opinion, is a possible foreshadow of the foreshadow. Um, and I'm not dogmatic about this. This is just my opinion. I thought it'd be interesting for you to have this for your notes. And if you agree, then great. If you don't, that's fine too. Exodus 32, 19. It seems to me... Because the sacrifice of the red heifer is kind of unique. We talked last week about some of the uniqueness of it. One unique thing is that it's a female animal, uh, where every other sacrifice are all male animals. Uh, another thing that is unique about it is that everything happens without the camp, where we have other sacrifices that are killed or slain 
at the door of the tabernacle and then taken outside the camp for the burning. This uh, sacrifice, the red heifer, was taken outside of the camp and killed outside the camp. Everything happened outside of the camp. It's, a, it's, it's unique in that sense. Also, it's not in the book of Leviticus, but in the book of Numbers. And the book of Leviticus was really like a manual for the Levites regarding sacrifices and how to perform them. But then in the book of Numbers, God inserts this sacrifice. And we talked about that last week, why that is, and why it is that maybe this wasn't a sacrifice that was necessarily planned to be needed or used uh, by the children of Israel until it is that they decided not to enter the promised land and God punished them with wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they were to deal with all sorts of dead bodies, which is what the sacrifice is really about. What's interesting to me is that it seems to shadow something that happened earlier regarding the rebellion of the children of Israel. In Exodus 32 and verse 19, we have this famous story, of course, of the children of Israel worshiping a golden calf. Exodus 32, 19 says this, and it came to pass as soon as he. Now the he there is referring to Moses. And remember, Moses had spent 40 days and 40 nights up on the mount with God, fellowshipping with God, fasting for those 40 days. And he's coming down with the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 32, 19. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And of course, the calf here is referring to the golden calf that Aaron had made for the children of Israel to worship because they thought Moses wasn't coming back. They said, we don't know what has happened to Moses. And they decided to worship this golden calf. And the Bible says that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. And of course, we know that Moses had the tablets with the Ten Commandments where God had written the commandments with the finger of God. And in his anger, the Bible tells us he broke the commandments, verse 20, and he took the calf, this is a golden calf, an image, which they had made, notice what he does with this calf, and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder. So it's very similar. Obviously, when we're talking about the red heifer, we're talking about an actual animal. But if you remember, the red heifer was slain, and then it was burned. The Bible tells us everything, the skin, the blood, the dung, all of it was burned to ashes. And then the ashes was added to water, and they used the water to sprinkle and purify the people. But the Bible tells us about the golden calf, that Moses took the calf, which he had made, and burnt it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it, the word strawed there, or strawed it, means to scatter, or to spread, or to sprinkle upon, notice, the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. So again, I'm not sure if there's a connection here, I'm not sure what the connection is, uh, but I just think it's interesting that the children of Israel, in the wilderness, after they came out of uh, of, of Egypt, they have this episode with this idol, this golden calf, and Moses is so upset about the whole thing that he melts it down, grinds it into powder, puts the powder into water, and then makes the children of Israel drink it as a punishment for worshiping uh, this golden calf. So if you ever thought that Pastor Jimenez has been mean to you, uh, you know, I've never done this, all right? And maybe I should, but I, I've never made you drink water with your, your idols that you've uh, worshipped instead of Jesus. But this is what Moses did. And then later on, Moses establishes this, this red 
heifer sacrifice where you bring a red heifer, you burn it to ashes, you add the ashes to water, and the water is then sprinkled upon the people. It just seems to me like there's a lot of connections here, and maybe if you know more about it, you can uh, let me know about it. But to me, it looks like it might be a foreshadow to the foreshadow, and I thought that uh, was something that's interesting. Go back to Numbers 19 if you would. However, you take that, that's beside the point, we know for a fact that the primary application here is that this is a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to begin by saying this, and we'll end the sermon by saying the same thing, and it is this, that the entire Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the scarlet thread that is woven throughout uh, the entire Bible. This is why it is important to read all of the Bible, to study all of the Bible, to know all of the Bible. The Bible itself tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. But what I want to show you tonight is that even in a chapter like Numbers 19, even in a chapter that is somewhat obscure and kind of mysterious, a chapter that a lot of people put a lot of different mysticism and mystery into with the red heifer, you'll find tonight that it is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sermon tonight is going to be all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be about the fact that the book of Numbers and every book in the Bible, every chapter in the Bible, is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, let me say this. For you men who want to preach or like to preach or maybe one day uh, would hope to have the opportunity to preach, if you ever find yourself being assigned the Uh, responsibility of preaching through a chapter of the Bible that you maybe look at, like I often do on a Monday morning. I read a chapter that is coming up and think to myself, what am I supposed to say about this? Uh, You'll find that good advice that I was given was this. Whenever you don't know what a chapter is about, look for Jesus in that chapter. Look for the Lord Jesus Christ in that chapter. Look for the Lord Jesus Christ in those passages and then make a a beeline to the cross because the entire Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an application for preachers, but let me make an application for the layman and for the preacher, the application for everyone. And it is this. The problem that I have found, and I'm not saying that I'm an expert. I don't know that I'm an expert. I know that I have been pastoring this church. My wife and I have been the pastor and the pastor's wife of this church for, I don't know, 13 years now or something like that. And in that time, what I have observed is that the problem with the average, apathetic, lukewarm Christian, it comes down to the fact that they just really don't have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, I would say that probably most Christians just, I mean, if you ask them, do you love Jesus? Yeah, they say, they would say, yes, we love Jesus. And they would sing the songs and all those things. But our lives don't reflect it. And the benefit to a study like the study that we'll have tonight is that maybe, maybe, and I I say maybe not because the Word of God is not powerful. We know the Word of God is powerful, um, but you have to allow the Word of God to do a work in, in your heart. And I would say that maybe, just maybe, a flame of love for the Lord Jesus Christ would begin to burn in your heart and in your mind as we look at this passage which really is about Christ and about the symbolism of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, that's enough for introductory statements. Let's get into the passage. And let me give you seven foreshadowings, seven symbolisms of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that we find in this passage. Notice there Numbers 19 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer. And here we find the first symbolism that's pretty obvious about the Lord Jesus Christ. Without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. I'd like you to notice, and if you're taking notes, I'd like to give you seven of these tonight as quickly as possible. The first foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ that we see in the sacrifice of the red heifer, the first symbolism we see, is that it was to be without spot, wherein is no blemish. It was to be without spot. Now, you're, you're there in Numbers 19. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 9. We're studying Hebrews in the, on Wednesday night, so hopefully you can find it quickly. Uh, towards the end of the New Testament, you go backwards from Revelation. You have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. James, and then the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. Do me a favor, when you get to Hebrews, put your ribbon or a bookmark or something there, because we're going to leave it or we're going to come back to it. We're going to come to Hebrews a lot. And I've said this on Wednesday nights, but our study in Numbers on Sunday nights and Hebrews on Wednesday night have really complemented themselves because there's so much overlap in regards to the material that's being covered. The Bible says in Numbers 19.2 that the red heifer was to be without spot, wherein is no blemish. In Hebrews 9 and verse 14, the Bible says this, Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself, notice these words, without spot, without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In the Old Testament, when they were to find a sacrifice, they were to find a sacrifice without spot, without blemish. Physically, they were to look at it and make sure there was no blemish upon the animal, no spot upon the animal. But we know that it, that is symbolic to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible here specifically tells us that he was uh, without spot, and we know that that has to do with the fact that he was without sin. And we've been looking at that a lot in the book of Hebrews, the fact that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are yet uh, without sin. Keep your place there in Hebrews 9 and go to John chapter 19. Towards the beginning of the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, then Luke, then John, John chapter 19. And I want you to notice that Jesus is the sacrifice for salvation. He is what this red heifer represents. And Jesus was also found without spot and without blemish. And they were supposed to look at this red heifer right before they sacrificed it. They were to inspect it and make sure that it had no spot, had no blemish. Hebrews already told us that Jesus had no spot, that he was without sin. But I want you to notice that Jesus himself, before his actual death and sacrifice, was also inspected and found without spot. John 19, look at verse number 4. Remember when Jesus was arrested, he was brought to Pilate. He was also brought to the high priest. We're going to look at that later on in the sermon tonight. But he was brought to Pilate in John 19 and verse 4. The Bible says this, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know. This is Pilate, who was a Roman uh, uh, citizen. He was a Roman leader. He, they brought Jesus to Pilate that they might put him to death. And Pilate is going to cave in and allow them to put Jesus to death, but he doesn't want to. And here's what he says to them. He says that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Pilate said, I have examined him. 
I have looked at him. I have looked him over. I have asked him questions, and I have tried to find if there's any spot or blemish in his character, any spot or blemish in his integrity, any spot or blemish uh, in, in his testimony, any reason that he should be put to death. And Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Look at verse 5. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him. He says, For I find no fault in him. So we see that there's a symbolism here of the red heifer. The red heifer was to be inspected. They were to find no spot or blemish. They were to find nothing wrong with it before it was sacrificed for the people. And Jesus also was in him was found no fault. He was without sin. He who knew no sin. And Pilate examined him and said, declared him, I find no fault in him. And we see the symbolism there that Jesus was that sacrifice that was without spot or blemish. Now, I ask you to keep your place in Hebrews. I'm going to ask you to also keep your place in John. If you can keep your place in those two places, we're going to go back and forth between those books. Keep your place in Hebrews and John. Go back to Numbers 19. Let me give you the second symbolism we find in this passage about the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one is this, that he was without spot or blemish. The second one is there in verse number two as well. Numbers 19 and verse 2, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish. And then I want you to notice the last little phrase of verse number 2, and upon which never came yoke. Another uh, uh, characteristic of the red heifer sacrifice was that they not only had to find the red heifer, they not only had to make sure that it was without spot and without blemish, but they also had to make sure that it was a heifer upon which never came yoke. It was a heifer that they had never put a yoke upon. And the idea was this, that the heifer had never been used as a beast of burden. It had never been used uh, to, to carry anything, to push anything, to pull anything. It had never been put to work. They had never placed a yoke upon it for the purpose of putting it to work. The idea is this, that this was a red heifer that had never been forced to do anything. A yoke had never came upon it. Whatever it did, it did because it wanted to. It was never forced to plow a field. It was never forced uh, to push or carry or pull anything. Everything it did was because it wanted to. That was a characteristic of the red heifer. And we see something similar in our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 10 if you would. I ask you to keep your place in John. John chapter 10. And I'd like you to notice verse number 17. John chapter 10 and verse 17. Notice what Jesus said. John 10, 17. Therefore doth my Father love me. Notice what he says. Because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. And here's the point and the connection I want you to make in verse 18. Jesus said, no man taketh it from me. He says, nobody's forcing me to do this. Nobody takes my life from me. He said, I lay down my life. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. We actually learned about this in the book of Hebrews. And the idea is this, that though we found last Wednesday night about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he 
in his humanity did not, if you remember, he did not want to die. In fact, he asked, you know, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way that we can do this, you know, make that available. But of course, the answer was no. He was the only answer for our sin. And the Bible says that his response was not my will, but thine be done. But even in that, he wasn't forced. He submitted himself in obedience to death, even the death of the cross. And here he says, no man taketh it from me. And Jesus was that, like the red heifer, that sacrifice, that a yoke had never been put on this red heifer. It had never been forced to do anything. Anything it did, it did because it wanted to. Jesus was also a sacrifice that willingly laid down his life. Nobody forced him. Nobody made him. He said, I laid out my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. So like the red heifer, we see that Jesus was a sacrifice without spot or blemish. Like the red heifer, we see that Jesus, on Jesus never came yoke. Nobody ever forced him. He chose to lay down his life because he loved you and he loved me. Go back to Numbers 19, if you would. Numbers 19. And just while we're on the subject of the yoke, let me just say this. Jesus also turns around and tells us, take my yoke upon you. He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, look, I'm not going to force you to serve me. He says, but take, he says, take my yoke upon you. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And look, in life, you're going to serve something. Nobody's just living for themselves. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the devil. You're either going to serve Jesus or you're going to serve this world. There's just no way around it. And you know, I'd rather have the yoke of Jesus upon my life and live a life that's clean and pure and without regret and without the burdens of sin. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we see that Jesus was without spot or blemish. We see that on him never came yoke, just like this red heifer. Then I want you to notice thirdly tonight, we see another symbolism of this red heifer and the Lord Jesus Christ, a foreshadow of the red heifer for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is found there in verse number three. And he shall give her unto Eliezer the priest, that he may bring her forth, and we've already made a big deal about this, but I want you to see it again, that he may bring her forth without the camp, without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. The Bible says that the red heifer here was to be slain without the camp. That phrase, without the camp, simply means that it was to be outside of the camp. It was to be taken out of the gate, out of the camp, in order to be slain. The Bible tells us the exact same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back to Hebrews 13 and look at verse number 12, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12, I want you to notice these words. Hebrews 13 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Wherefore Jesus... Also, Hebrews 13, 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, notice these words, suffered without the gate. Suffered without the gate. And then verse 13 says this, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. The exact same words used in Numbers, 13, uh, Numbers 19, 3, that they were to take the red heifer, Forth without the camp. Hebrews 13, 13 says, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, 
bearing his reproach. So I want you to notice that the Bible tells us that Jesus, like this red heifer, was slain without the camp. And we know that that's true. The red heifer was inspected. It was, they looked at it. They made sure that it was without spot or blemish. And they made sure that never yoke came upon it. And think about this with this idea of never yoke came upon it. That means that even as they led this red heifer out of the camp to slay it, they didn't put a yoke on it to force it. It walked out with them. It voluntarily followed them. And we see that Jesus also, like a lamb taken to the slaughter, did it voluntarily. He laid down his life. But I want you to notice that when Jesus died, he was inspected within Jerusalem. He was taken to the high priest, and he was taken to Herod, and he was taken to Pilate, and he was taken to all these individuals. But when he was killed, he was killed on Golgotha, and it was without the camp, outside of the camp. They took him outside of Jerusalem, and they killed him on, they crucified him on Mount Calvary. And the Bible tells us here in Hebrews that like the red heifer, Slain without the camp. Jesus also was slain without the camp. But I do want you to notice the point that's being made in Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 13, because I brought you here to show you the fact that Jesus suffered without the gate and that he was crucified without the camp. Now that we've made that connection, I do want you to notice that that is not the reason that is being brought up in Hebrews 13, 13. We can learn that from Hebrews 13, 13, but that is not the primary application. The primary application is not necessarily that Jesus suffered without the gate and that Jesus was crucified without the camp. The primary application is actually this, Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. The wherefore there means, hey, this is what happened. This is What he did, he did this, Jesus did this, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, and then we're told that it happened in verse 13, without the camp, but here's the application, the application is, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. The application is, let us go forth, notice this word, therefore, therefore means because of this, because of this reason, because of what reason? Because of the wherefore in verse 12, we're told therefore in verse 13. I hope you understand what I'm saying to you. In verse 12, we're told because Jesus went outside the gate to die, to be sacrificed for our sins, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. He says, Because of that wherefore, he says, therefore, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp. And it's the same idea if you're looking at me like a red heifer on its way to uh, being slaughtered and you're just like, I'm not really getting it. It's the same comment that I was making at the beginning of the service. The reason that we're unwilling to go outside the camp and suffer his reproach. It's because we don't really think too much about his own suffering and sacrifice. See, the wherefore is this. He went and suffered without the gate. He went and died without the camp that he might sanctify you and me, a people with his own blood. And then the Bible says, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. The idea is this. If he was willing to go out of the camp, 
to die for us, then we should be willing to go out of whatever camp you associate with to die for him. Because he said, if any man will follow me, let him take up his cross and follow, and, 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 and follow me. Paul said, I die daily. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the truth is this, that if you and I are ever going to get to the place where we actually love God, where we actually love the Lord Jesus Christ, where you're not just doing something to check it off a list just because it's what you're supposed to do, it's what's expected of you, or you signed up for this ministry and we told you you had to show up on Sunday night, or whatever it is, but you actually just do it because you love Jesus. Amen. If you and I are ever going to get to that place, we're going to have to get a hold of that wherefore motivate us to the therefore let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach so we see that Jesus like this red heifer go back to Numbers 19 he was without spot or blemish we see that Jesus like this red heifer never came yoke even when they took the animal see the, the other sacrifices they slayed them at the door of the tabernacle and then they dragged the carcass without the camp, but not the red heifer. The red heifer was chosen. It was looked upon. It was inspected. But then without a yoke, it was led without the camp to be put to death. And Jesus, the same way, without a yoke, the spotless lamb of, Christ, of God went without the camp to be sacrificed for our sins. Like you notice, a fourth symbolism in Numbers 19, we see it there in verse 3 as well. And ye shall give her unto Eliezer the priest. After the red heifer was inspected, after it was looked upon, after they decided, yes, it is without spot, yet it is without blemish. Then the Bible says that they were to give her unto Eliezer the priest. Eliezer is the son of Aaron, the guy who's going to become the second high priest, they were to deliver the red heifer to the current high priest, Eliezer the priest, uh, excuse me, not the current high priest, but one of the priests, one of the chief priests, and someone that was in line to be a high priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp. Notice last part of verse 3. And one shall slay her before his face. Before whose face? Before Eliezer the priest. Now let me just be clear about this. Eliezer the priest is a good guy. In the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, the high priest's position was a good position. He's a good guy. But this red heifer is being symbolized all the way in the book of Numbers that they were to give this red heifer to Eliezer the priest and that he was to take her to where she would be put to death and that they were to slay her before his face. Now, if I was Eliezer, I might be asking myself, why is that? Why do I have to be involved in this? Why, why, do I have, why does she have to be delivered to me, the priest, the chief, one of the chief priests? Chief priests meaning that they were in higher authority than all the other priests. And of course, Eliezer being the second in position for the high priest was definitely one of the chief priests. And he was to take her and they were to slay her, verse 3, before his face. Meaning, in his presence, he was supposed to watch and observe and witness the red heifer being slain. Look at verse 4. And Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle 
of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times, and one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh and her bones and her, and her blood, excuse me, with her dung shall he burn. She was to be slain before his face, and it was to be done, verse 5, in his sight. What's interesting is, if you can make your way back to the New Testament, this time to the book of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It should be fairly easy to find. I would imagine that Eliezer probably was wondering, what do I have to do with this? What is this about? Why am I having to play a role in this situation? Eliezer was a good guy. But this was symbolic because of the fact that God knows the beginning from the end. God knows everything. God knew how this whole thing was going to play out with the Lord Jesus Christ. And though in Numbers we're at the beginning of the position of the high priest, where Aaron has just become the high priest, Eliezer is going to be the second high priest, and these are good guys. God knew that by the time that Jesus would be born, and, and by the time that Jesus would come to this earth, the individuals in these positions of priests and high priests and chief priests would not be good guys. They would be villains. They would be bad guys. And Jesus was actually delivered to the high priest and to the chief priest, and he was killed before their face. Look at it, Matthew 26, verse 57. Matthew 26, 57, and they laid hold on Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Notice they bring Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest, look at verse 62, same chapter. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answers thou nothing? They're questioning Jesus, and he's not answering them. He says, Answers thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of the power, and coming in clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Let's just fast forward. Go to chapter 27 and verse 20. This is Jesus at the crucifixion when he's being put to death. Matthew 27, verse 20. Notice what the Bible says. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Look at verse 41, same chapter. Matthew 27, verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests, this is Jesus on the cross, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. And here's what I want you to understand. In the book of Numbers, this red heifer, the Bible tells us God told Moses, you need to find a heifer, a red heifer, that's without spot, without blemish, never came yoke, take her without the camp, but make sure Eliezer does it. That's not because Eliezer is a bad guy, but it's because of the position of Eliezer being one of the chief priests. It says he, the, the red heifer has to be taken without the camp by the, one of the priests, one of the chief priests, and it, she needs to be slain before his face. And then the Bible tells us that when Jesus was taken without the camp and put on the cross, as he died, it happened 
before the face of the high priest, the face of the chief priest, Matthew 27, 41, likewise also the chief priest mocking him. The red heifer was killed before the chief priest, Eliezer. Jesus was killed before the chief priests as they mocked him as well. Go back to Numbers 19. Look at verse number 4. Let me give you the fifth foreshadow or symbolism. We saw the first was that he was without spot or blemish. The second was that never came yoke. The third was that it happened without the camp. The fourth was that it happened in the sight of the priest or in the sight of the chief priest. Here's number five. It's found in verse number five. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin and her flesh and her blood with her dung shall he burn. One of the sacrifices that we see, one of the things that we often see in sacrifices, we see it with the red heifer and we see it with a lot of different sacrifices, is that they were often to be burned. They would be sacrificed in certain ways. Definitely we see that the red heifer has a lot of symbolism to the Lord Jesus Christ. But oftentimes they would be burned. They, they would be burned. And the red heifer, like the burnt sacrifice, uh, was not to be burnt to a certain point and then the meat taken and given to the Levites and the priests to eat. But this specific sacrifice, the whole thing was to be burned till it came, became ashes. And we see this idea that the sacrifice was to be burnt. And of course, we see the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a question that people often ask is, well, how, how does the burning play a role or is symbolic of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the reason for that is because there is something that just a lot of people don't believe that the Bible teaches, and it is this, that the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ was also burned. Go to Isaiah 53, if you would. Isaiah 53 if you're right in the center of the Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms. After Psalms, you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Now, we know that Jesus, when he died on the cross, his body was buried. We know that. The Bible's clear about that. But the thing that is often debated is this. His body was buried for three days and three nights. What is often debated is this. What happened to his soul? What happened to his soul during those three days and three nights? And there's all, all sorts of theories and beliefs out there that he went to a place called paradise and he did all sorts of things. But we don't have to wonder what the Bible says about these things because the Bible tells us what happened to his soul. Isaiah 53, I think we saw it this morning, or I can't remember. After a while, you preach so long, they just start all kind of fading into each other. But Isaiah 53 is what we call a messianic prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ an Old Testament prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 53 is probably the most famous of all of them, the most clearly talking about Jesus. We could take the time to go through it. I'm not going to do that. But I'd like you to look at Isaiah 53 and verse 10. The Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Notice these words. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. The Bible is clear that it was not just the body of Christ that was made a sacrifice for sin. Now, the body of Christ was made a sacrifice for sin. That is true. No doubt about it. There's a reason why we do our ordinance of the Lord's Supper or communion where we take the bread and we break it and we rip it apart, symbolically showing that the bread pictures the body of Christ that was broken for us. 
We take the juice and pour it, symbolically showing that His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. Without a doubt, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was part of the sacrifice for sin. But so was His soul. The Bible says here in Isaiah 53.10, When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin. His soul was also an offering for sin. Well, what happened to his soul? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you kept your place in John, uh, right after John, you have the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 31. Acts 2.31, the Bible says this. He's seeing this, talking about David. It's quoting a prophecy from the Old Testament. He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. He said, David spake about the resurrection of Christ. He foretold about the resurrection of Christ. And here's what he said about it. That his soul was not left in hell. Neither his flesh did see corruption. So we ask the question, where does body go for three days and three nights? We know the answer is that it was in a tomb. And three days later, there was a bodily resurrection. But where did his soul go for three days and three nights? Well, the Bible says that his soul was not left in hell. Bible tells us the soul went to hell. Now, people who want to teach and preach that Jesus did not go to hell will jump through all sorts of hoops, especially when it gets to Acts 2.31, and they'll say, well, yeah, it says hell, but when it says hell, it doesn't really mean hell because, see, we got this fancy book, and it tells us that in, there's a nice part of hell, and there's this, like, like you know, uh, area in hell. It's like a vacation spot. And, and that's where Jesus went. But wait a minute. The Bible tells us that his soul was not left in hell. And the Bible tells us that his soul was made an offering for sin. And the Bible tells us that all of these sacrifices were burnt symbolically representing the sacrifice of Christ. And I'm here to tell you something. When Jesus' soul went down to hell, he burned in hell as a payment for our sins. Because look, when he saved me, what did he save me from? Did he save me from a physical death? Now, there are some Christians who will never experience this physical death. If they live to the rapture, they will never experience a physical death. But the vast majority of Christians die. When Jesus saved us, he does not save us from a physical death necessarily, although some people will not experience a physical death as a result. But the truth is this. When Jesus saved us, he saved us from going to hell. And if he made a payment for our sins, if he paid the, the, the consequences of our sin, and the consequence for my sin was to die and go to hell, then he died and went to hell in my place. The difference between him and I is that he, being an eternal being, was able to, uh, to, to pay eternally in hell. Why was he there for three days and three nights? You'll have to ask him. I'm not, I don't know. I know that he resurrected before his body could decay because neither his flesh did see corruption. And maybe he chose three days, I don't know, one day as for every member of the Godhead. I'm not sure. But I know this, that he suffered in hell and then he conquered death and hell. So we see that the, burnt, the heifer was burnt and we see that symbolically the Lord Jesus Christ also suffered, not just physically, but his soul was not left in hell that he might pay for our sins. Go back to Numbers chapter 19. Let me give you number six. There's only seven of these, so we're doing good on time. 
without spot or blemish, never came yoke, without the camp, in the sight of the priest, burn the heifer. Then there's a sixth symbolism to Jesus from this red heifer sacrifice. I hope you're seeing why this wasn't just a point in my sermon last week. Would have been a pretty long sermon. Numbers, maybe I could have done it for New Year's Eve, I don't know. Numbers 19, verse 6. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. So they were to find this heifer without spot or blemish, which never came yoke upon. They were to take it without the camp. They were to slay it in the sight of the priest. They were to burn it, everything, to ashes, skin, blood, bones, everything. But then while it was burning, the priest was to take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet. Now, scarlet is a color, but the idea here that he took something that was scarlet, a material that was scarlet, and he was to throw these three items into the fire. And again, if I may lay as the priest, I'm thinking to myself, what does this have to do with anything? And I take a, a piece of cedar wood and, and a hyssop, which is uh, like a plant that is used for medicine, and, and something that is scarlet, and I don't know, wrap it all together, and then throw it into the fire, cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. Cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. By the way, these three things were also used for the cleansing of the leper in the book of Leviticus. But I want you to notice that all these things have a symbolic meaning. Let's just run some verses real quickly. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would. If you kept your place in Hebrews, right after Hebrews you have James, then 1 Peter. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. The first thing is we see cedar wood, a piece of wood. This could be symbolic of the cross. In 1 Peter 2.24, the Bible says this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self, referring to Jesus, bear our sins in his own body. Notice these words. On the tree. He died on a tree. He died on a cross made out of wood taken from a tree. We don't know that the cross was made out of cedar wood. Maybe it was. We don't know that. But we know this, that the sacrifice of the red heifer required a piece of wood, required a cedar wood to be thrown into the burning heifer, uh, the, the sacrifice of the heifer as it burnt. And we know this, that it could be symbolic of the fact that Jesus was crucified on a tree, on an instrument of wood, who his own self bare our sins in his own body, on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So we see the cedar wood could, could be a representation of the tree, the cross. Let me give you another one. Go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Psalm 51 is actually a very famous psalm because it's a psalm in which David got right with God. Remember, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he had Uriah the Hittite put to death, and Nathan the prophet comes to David and calls him out and says, Thou art the man. And as a result, David gets right with God, and David thoroughly got right with God. And Psalm 51 is that famous psalm where he 
gets right with the Lord and he writes those things. And I won't take the time to go through the psalm with you, but I want you to notice in verse 7, he says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a plant that was used as medicine, but David is speaking to God, says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Hyssop is connected to this idea of cleanliness. And in Numbers 19 and verse 6, the priest shall take the wood, which could picture the cross, the tree, the instrument of, 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 the, of, of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they were to throw in this hyssop, which, later would later, which David would later associate with this idea of being cleansed, and being cleansed specifically of sin. Because in Psalm 51, David is uh, confessing his sin, his adultery, and his murder, and he's asking God, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean, Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Isn't that terminology we use when it comes to salvation? That we have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have been made whiter than snow. So this hyssop could be symbolic of that. The cedar wood pictures the tree. The hyssop pictures the cleansing of sin being made whiter than snow. And then the scarlet, of course, represents, could represent, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And scarlet is also associated with this idea of sin being cleansed. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, if you're there in Psalms, you go past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Isaiah 1 and verse 18, again, a very famous passage. Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. These are very famous words in the Bible. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Didn't we just read that in Psalm 51? Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So we see that Isaiah would associate this idea of our sins being as scarlet and being made white as snow, being red like crimson and made white as wool, that we would be cleansed. We see that this red heifer sacrifice, and I'm sure the priests and Eliezer probably thought to themselves, I don't know what any of this has to do with anything. I'm not sure why God is having us do this, but he wants me to throw in a piece of wood. I'm not sure why, because Eliezer, at the time of his life, the cross had not, the, the instrument of the cross had not even been invented yet. But he threw in a piece of wood. He threw in some hyssop. He threw in some scarlet. Material made out of, with the color scarlet, representing the fact that his own self, Jesus, bare our sins in his own body on the tree, Amen. representing the fact that we could be purged with hyssop and we would be clean, we could be washed and be whiter than snow, representing the fact that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen. You see this symbolism all pointing back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you the last one if you would. Go back to Numbers chapter 19. We're looking at the symbolism of the red heifer. And here's what I'm hoping, that the next time you find yourself reading through Numbers 19, you won't just read through it and kind of daze off as you read and just check it off somewhere. 
But you'll see the symbolism when you see that the heifer was without spot or blemish. You'd say, that's my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see that she was taken without the camp, but not with a yoke, but voluntarily, you'd say, that was Jesus who laid down His life voluntarily for my sins. When you see that she was taken without the camp, it might remind you that as He went, wherefore, He was uh, suffered without the gate, without the camp. Let us, therefore, go with Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. You see that the heifer was slain in the sight of the priest to remind you of the image of the cross as the chief priest mocked Jesus and he was slain in the sight of the priest. You read of the heifer being burnt, it will remind you of the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ that was not left in hell. As you read of the cedar wood, it will remind you of the cross, the hyssop, it will remind you of cleansing the scarlet, it will remind you of our sin. Let me give you the last one. In verse number 7, we see this. Numbers 19 and verse 7. In verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, we have three different individuals that take part in this sacrifice. And there's something that they all have in common. There's a common denominator. I just want you to see it. Numbers 19 and verse 7, the Bible says this. Then the priest. This is the first person of the three mentioned in these verses. The priest shall wash his clothes. This is once the sacrifice has been done. They've already thrown in the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet. They've already done all these things. Then the priest was to wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest, notice these words, shall be unclean until the even. So the priest, who was ceremonially clean, this is why this is even being done, right? We talked about it last week. If somebody was ceremonially unclean because they came in contact with a dead body, then they were to take this water and be sprinkled on the third day and on the seventh day, and they would be ceremonial clean, uh, uh, ceremonially clean. None of this has to do with hygiene. It's all ritual, symbolism, uh, symbolism and foreshadows of the Old Testament, foreshadowing the New Testament. But the priest who was already clean, now, after going through this whole process, after sacrificing this animal, is now unclean. He has to go wash his clothes, bathe his flesh in water. He needs to go back into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until even. So we see in verse 7 that we have one character participating in this whole episode of the red heifer. It's the priest. He was clean, and now he's unclean. Then in verse 8, we have another individual. Look at verse 8. And... He that burneth her. This is someone separate than the priest. This is another individual. This is the individual that was burning the red heifer. He that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the even. We have another individual who started this process being ceremonially clean. And once it's all said and done, he's now unclean. And then in verse 9, we have a third individual. And just to make sure that we're getting the point, because what I've often noticed about the Lord Jesus, about God, I should say, about the Bible, and it makes me feel good about myself because I tend to be an over-communicator, which is probably why I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher. And I tend to over-communicate and I repeat things over and over and I say them again and again and I say them in different ways and I try to make sure that you're getting what I'm saying. And part of it, it's your fault. You have traumatized me and conditioned me to be this way because you pay so little attention 
that, that I have to make sure that I say it and say it again and say it a different way and, 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 and say it as many in a positive way, in a negative way, yelling and not yelling and with a story and with a song. And I just got to say it as many ways as I can for you to get it. And you might criticize me, but then I look at the Bible and I think, God's the same way. In verse 7, he's like, there's a guy, he was clean, but now that it's over, he's not clean. And then in verse 8, he's like, there's this other guy, he was clean, but now that it's over, he's unclean. And then in verse 9, he says, just to make sure you're getting it, verse 9, and a man that is clean, have I mentioned that? Shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place, and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation, it is a purification for sins, and he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer... The guy that was mentioned in verse 9, that is clean, he that gathered the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean. And I just feel like God is trying to make a point unto the even. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and to the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statute forever. And God is making this point. He's over-communicating. He's telling us, there was a guy... He was clean when this started. At the end of the thing, he's unclean. There's this other guy who's also clean when it started. At the end of the thing, he's unclean. And then there's this other guy. Have I mentioned he was clean? And when the whole thing is over, now he's unclean. You say, what is the symbolism here? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you kept your, kept your place in John, after John you have Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I said, number one, that he was without spot or blemish. Number two, never came yoke upon him. Number three, without the camp. Number four, in the sight of the priest. Number five, burnt with a heifer. Number six, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet. And here's symbolism number seven. The clean becomes unclean. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible tells us about our precious Lord Jesus Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The reason that you and I could be saved is because the clean became unclean. It's because the sinless, spotless Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross, and when he died, though he'd never sinned, and though he had no sin, the Bible says that our sins were placed upon him, and he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. The reason that you and I can be saved is because the clean became unclean, so that the unclean could become clean. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I don't know if you love Jesus. I hope you do. I hope that studying about Jesus and learning about his sacrifice for us would maybe begin to burn a little and say, I love this Jesus who would come to this earth and die for my sins. I love this man who would voluntarily laid out his life for me, who would die on a cross, who would shed his blood that I might be cleansed, that the clean would become unclean. Let me give you two more verses. We'll finish up. Go, go back. Go to Hebrews, if you would, Hebrews chapter 9. We saw the, one of these verses already, and we actually saw this last week, but let me just show it to you again. 
I hope, I don't know, I hope that the sermon has been convincing to you that the red heifer sacrifice was really fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus, and it's about you, and it's about me, and it's about what he did to save us from our sins. Hebrews 9 and verse 13. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said. He says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, remember, that is a direct reference to the red heifer sacrifice, Numbers 19, because there is no other heifer sacrifice in the Bible. Every other sacrifice was bull, goat, bullock, male. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth through the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? And here it is. We'll end where we started. To serve the living God. Why do we serve the living God? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And can we just be honest? Why don't we show up for soul winning? I mean, you'll show up if I guilt you, right? If I preach a tear-jerking sermon, and I'll do my best to preach the tear-jerking sermons. You'll show up if we require it. But not everybody's that way. Some people just love God. Some people just read the Bible just because they love God. Some people just do what they're supposed to do just out of love for God. What I've learned is that the problem with most apathetic and lukewarm Christians is that they just really don't have a love for God. But if we would think about, and I think the reason, the reason that there are chapters in the, book of, in the Bible like the book of Numbers, the reason that God would take the time to put these types of things into the, bath, into, into the Bible so that we might look at it and study it and, and observe it and, and, and compare it and see, look, this is about Jesus. This kind of reminds me of Jesus. I think the reason is because he wants us to consider the fact that how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your concert from dead works and then motivate us to serve the living God? That we would love him and we would serve him because the sacrifice of the red heifer was really about him. In fact, the entire Bible, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Let me give you one last verse and we'll finish up. Go to Acts chapter 10. You kept your place in John. Right after John, you have the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. We have our nine chapters today coming up. I want to encourage you to read the Bible. I'll be preaching about Bible reading here soon, but let me just throw this in while we're at it. We're going to talk about reading the New Testament in January, but, you know, here's why I want you to read the New Testament in January, because if you can read the whole New Testament in the month of January, then you have 11 months to read the Old Testament, which you could do in like 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes if you're not that great at reading. And you could read the Bible, and you could be a very unique individual because the average Christian has never read the Bible cover to cover. And you could easily read the Bible cover to cover every year. But, you know, maybe when you get to these dense chapters like Leviticus and Numbers 19, 
maybe it'll help you if you remember what the Bible says in Acts 10, 43. To him give all the prophets witness. Say, ah, some of these prophetic books are just kind of really difficult. Let me just let you in on a little secret. They're all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Acts 10, 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sins. The whole Bible is about Jesus. He's the scarlet thread that's woven through the entire thing. So when you're reading the Bible and you're not sure what it's about, find Jesus and make your way to the cross and love him for it and serve him as a result of that love. Inspire heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the ability to read and study the Bible, the Holy Spirit that teaches us these things. Lord, let us, let us never look at a chapter like Numbers 19 and think, oh, this is boring. Let us remember that the entire Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we study him, as we think about him, as we survey his life, as we meditate upon his sacrifice, let it spark something within us that we may serve him as a result. Help us to love Jesus. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song, and we actually have a baptism tonight, so we'll go ahead and prepare for baptism as we sing this last song.